Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. Spring training is underway. The Cubs are playing baseball again. They're winning some games. They're losing some games. It doesn't really matter in the end. We have a few uh, players that we keep an eye on, sure, but, you know, it's early spring training. We still have some stuff to talk about, so stick with us. we got a good show for you. Adam, how you doing? Hello. Fantastic. Cool. Okay, so, um, spring training. I wish I could say I've watched some of it. The fact of the matter is, I have not watched any of it outside of clips on YouTube. A, because most of the games are on in the daytime when I'm at work, and B, I don't have marquee because I have Comcast, as everyone who's listened to this show before probably knows because I've talked about it before. There is still no end in sight of the Comcast drought, if you want to call it. But regardless, the network did launch over the past weekend. Um, it, it sounds like there was some pretty cool content on the channel. There was a Ernie Banks documentary. There was a Rank Best Cubs games or something like that little segment. And then the spring training games themselves, which still have Len and JD. Based on what I've seen on Twitter from like footage, it looks like it's off to an okay start. It has some work to do, I think, just, you know, naturally being a new station. But I think until they get deals with Comcast, YouTube TV, if whenever that is, uh, I'm still going to have bitter anger towards the station. I don't know what if you've seen anything so far from it. Uh, I've seen some some mixed mixed reactions to it. Uh, it seems like people like the the content that they're pushing out, uh, but not not the way they're rolling it out and maybe the accessibility. Personally, I find it a little bit strange that they don't have their own sort of subscription service that's you know separated from any kind of cable package or sports package with Hulu or YouTube or anything don't you yeah it would it was kind of a nice idea to think about a channel where no matter what you had you could just kind of easily subscribe to it but i guess that's not really how these things work i guess because not. because they want the deal with the big I mean, it, it kind of is that way because you have to be subscribed to the sports packages to get them. So it is in a way, but it's not like directly just the marquee network. Right. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess you have to have the deal in place with the provider. So obviously, if you want to subscribe to marquee and you have Comcast, well, they got to be under contract with each other. It'd it's be just, nice, but it's. I, I just th it would make sense to me since you know the Cubs are are you know there there's a lot of Cubs fans nationwide it, it's right. you know they're one of the one of the few teams that that has a lot of fans all across the country not just in their region so I I would have thought that they would have had some sort of subscription service available to to all the all the people outside the Chicago market Now I'm not a expert exactly on television and MLB, but what I do know is the MLB blackout rules are very weird, if that's the way yeah. you want to put it. So I don't really know if that would be an issue with that kind of thing, because blackout issues are everywhere in baseball. Yeah. Look at the Blue Jays. They're having issues with it. I mean, MLB really needs to get its act together and work on this kind of thing. It just it seems so easy to just be able to provide it to anyone based on just pure subscription, but with broadcasting rights yeah. and broadcasting policies with the league, with partnerships, it it just gets so much more complicated. And I, I, that's I think that's one one part of the issue of of younger fans not watching baseball right now. Sure, uh, I know me personally, I'm lucky. Uh, in Nebraska, I generally don't get Cubs games blacked out on MLB TV. Uh, but on the other hand, nearly every Royals game is blacked out for me. It's because I'm, I'm fairly close to Kansas City, and 
Uh, and that's Kansas, nuts to me. Yeah, and Kansas City games on the on their local Fox on their local Fox Midwest broadcast, so it blacks out all those games. And probably the majority of baseball fans in my area are Royals fans. So that's tough. I mean, and and yeah. a lot of people my age, they don't they don't want to buy their own cable package, and I don't blame them. It's you know we're kind of moving away from that. The cord cutting is becoming more popular, and so yes, all, a lot of these Royals fans can't watch Royals games unless they buy an entire cable package. And that's a small market team too. It's not like yeah. they have a huge fan base like the Cubs. No, but they don't have a huge fan base, but they do have a pretty loyal fan base. And yes, they, they do. They they are pretty passionate about the Royals, and it would it would be a real bummer for a lot of these young Royals fans to not be able to watch any of the games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at all the Cubs fans that can't watch right now. One of the funny things that I've noticed the past week is ever since Marquee went live, several bars, including Nisi Lounge, a shout out to them, were saying, look, we got DirecTV. If you want to watch the Cubs content, come here. We'll have it for you. Uh, so I, I always can't help but wonder when I go into like a sports bar or a restaurant of some kind that's showing the game. Now I'm going to be asking myself, what cable provider do they have? If they have DirecTV, that means I could probably watch the Cubs game there. Because the longer we delay this, the less and less confident I feel like they're going to be providing Comcast customers Cubs content when the season starts. It's just, it's weird that they have a system in place where it actually punishes you for living close to your team if you don't have right? cable. Right, that's because the weirdest MLB part TV to me. blacked out the Cubs games in Chicago. At least yeah. that's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't make any sense. Now, if they get a deal in place with Comcast and YouTube TV, things will really change in the eyes of the fan. It's kind of yeah. one of those things where if you just give it to me, then I'll be cool. But right now, a lot of these people don't have it. And, you know, there was a... Uh, there was an article by Bleacher Nation, I think, today saying how it doesn't seem as optimistic that YouTube TV will get a deal. You know, I don't really know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but when you hear these kinds of things, it's alarming to you as a fan. And why hasn't this stuff been figured out earlier? Why are we in the season? I mean, we're not in the regular season, but the season is underway. They're in spring training, and your number one cable provider doesn't have the games youtube tv which has become very very popular doesn't have the games it's not like oh well they're just not on hulu but they're on the big cable networks no they're on hulu but you can't watch the spring training games and you have to pay 50 bucks a month or so for hulu plus to get them and they're not on the big cable networks and look if you have the sports packages for comcast you'll get the marquee network once they sign the deal whenever that is so that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people in this area. Because a lot of people have that sports package. They've been watching Comcast Sportsnet, NBC Sportsnet, Cubs games for over a decade now. Yeah, why Why does it feel like they're just kind of winging this thing? Like you said, the season is coming up. It's, it's getting closer. You would have thought that... Marquis would have had all these kind, all these things, you know, already in place, a, a better plan than this. But yeah, it, it's it's really weird that the season is so close and they're still working on trying to strike deals with different providers. I that should have all been done by now, shouldn't it? It it feels like to me, and again, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but it gives me this illusion that they just put this network together. And just expected everything to work out. Yeah. Yeah. And man, that's that's backfired big time because there's the reactions I see on Twitter are are overwhelmingly negative. You know, I I see some people who say they, they like what content they have, but the way they've gone about it and the way this rollout process has gone has been overwhelmingly negative. Oh yeah. I mean in a year, if they have everything put in place and they've had a year to kind of work out some of the kinks itself and the content and everything's good, then sure the public will overall change its mind. But look at the Dodgers fiasco, even though Dodgers fans, some of them seem to have at least 
moved on from the initial bad start. People don't forget that stuff. I mean, when you talk about TV networks all the time, especially in baseball, the thing that went down with the Dodgers network, that that does not get forgotten. People will still bring that up. And frankly, I don't even know where they're at right now. I don't know if they're providing everyone. I don't really know what it's like in Dodgerland, but I do know that they got off to a really rocky start like this, and people have not forgotten it. No, nor should they. No, I mean, it's it's a big deal. It's not like, oh, we're just cutting down on uh, hot dogs at Wrigley Field or, oh, we're taking away one of the beer taps at Wrigley Field. No, this is how millions of people watch the games. Yeah, and this, you know, this all goes back to MLB's problem with younger fans not watching. And if you want to improve that situation, then then this you got to cut this kind of stuff out. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's make more fans, but let's make everything more difficult for the fans we do have because that makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean it just doesn't it worry you? I mean, the 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 average age of an MLB fan is is something in like the late fifties. So what what's the popularity of the game going to be like in another fifty years? Right, exactly. Look at other leagues around sports. You look at the NFL. Now, granted, the NFL is very different. There's only sixteen games. Well, that's going to change with the new CBA. But regardless. You have less than 20 regular season games a year. Mm -hmm. You have a few rounds of playoffs, and you have the Super Bowl. And those are all provided regionally on the big TV networks, Fox, CBS, NBC. I mean, people like the NFL mainly in part because it's so accessible. You look at NFL Red Zone. People are subscribed to that. And you look at the NBA, too. I mean, the NBA, they have a lot of fan base. They do. I mean... Part of it is just the popularity of the sport itself. But, you know, you look at the way they handle themselves as a league. I mean, whether or not you like the NBA or not, I think you could argue that the NBA is probably in the best place right now in terms of just, like, reputation and publicity. I mean, you look at Adam Silver. They've got personalities in that league. They do. They do. And the commissioner is well-liked. You can't say that in baseball. You can't say that in hockey. You can't say that in the NFL. Yeah, I I, I just think that I think there's a, a big gap between public personalities in the NFL and the NBA and then the MLB. The, the you know the MLB is just way behind those mm-hmm. other leagues. Uh, and something we've mentioned before, something I've seen a lot of people say is I don't I'm not sure the league does a good enough job marketing its players, its star players, especially the ones that are, are more eccentric and have uh, fun personalities. I, sure. I think they need to try harder to really push that into the, into the public eye because the NBA and the NFL do that really well. And even if you don't follow those sports, you know the star players, their household names. I don't think that's as much the case in baseball. Not at all. Think about it. Mike Trout might be on pace to be the greatest player ever, or at right. least top five. But it's not like you can go up to somebody who knows nothing about baseball and talk about him. They'll be like, Mike who? Where if you bring up LeBron James, everyone knows who LeBron James is. Yeah, Everyone exactly. knows who Tom Brady is. Exactly. It's very different. Now, hockey is in its own little world just because it, you know, hockey too canadian it's well it's very regional canada and europe is where it thrives it's just not going to surpass or come close to the sports that have really been established here in america even though the nhl has been around longer than the nba but you look at the nfl and you look at mlb and you look at the history there and it's it was proud to be like american if that makes sense it, it kind of, kind of built off that pride of it's like, oh, uh, you know, baseball is America's pastime. So obviously that was big here in America. You know, hockey, like I said, it's huge in Canada and it's big in Europe. It's more of a regional thing. You know, that league has its strengths and weaknesses of its own. While it is part of the four major sports, it'll never be close, even to the MLB. 
But we're talking about the MLB with importance because it was America's pastime for so long. It was the number one sport here. Now it's probably third behind basketball and football. Disappointing. That's really sad. I mean, I, I, I suppose... I suppose I can understand football, but it 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 kind of it bums me out that MLB would lag behind basketball. Well, I mean, here's the thing with basketball because the NBA. So- let's, I, I I know I know maybe this is an unpopular opinion, especially with people my age, but NBA games are boring. It gets it gets semi interesting to watch once the playoffs roll around, but regular season NBA is awful. It's terrible basketball. Well, I don't think it's always popular because of NBA. I mean, the star players, obviously. I think basketball's popular because of the star players and college. March Madness. I think that makes a huge, huge difference. Oh, yeah. March March Madness is infinitely better than NBA. Oh, I agree. And why do you think basketball's so popular? I think a big reason is because of that. Yeah, yeah, you don't see people putting four TVs in their living room for NBA regular season like they do no, for March you Madness. Don't. You don't see it for anything like that. It's no. only for March Madness when you do things like that. Yeah. There's no other reason to. And the NBA is going to try to look for ways to make it more interesting, which they should, but it's not going to be March Madness. I just don't think the style of basketball in the NBA is very fun to watch. You know, I I enjoy watching the star players. My big issue is it's so star-studded that you have a small pool of teams that are legit contenders, and the rest of, like, the 20-some teams are just kind of there. You you know they're going to play. You know some will make the playoffs, but they won't have a chance at a title. I think that's the biggest thing with me. Just too many forced bad shots by star players. Not really enough ball movement, not any artistry to the game. It's it's just kind of boring to watch. It, it's it it's just guys running back and forth and heaving up terrible shots or forcing forcing themselves to the rim when they shouldn't be. I just don't enjoy it. Oh, I think it was better in the old days. Not to sound like an old man, but when it was a lot more oh, yeah. pound to the rim, rough, tough. I think that was good basketball. Yeah, I, now yeah, sometimes I agree. it's like a big game of two K, and I'll that a, I I agree that can get kind of old. We're gonna get okay boomered by our listeners. I know, I know. You could go so, ahead and okay, okay boomer. Yeah. that's okay. Maybe uh, they should get rid of the three point line again. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> go that far. But I, I do think that or the older style of basketball was more fun to watch. But that's me. I do miss I do miss I, you know we kind of saw the end of the era of dominant big men. I know, and you know what? That's kind of my favorite position to watch. Yeah, that's, me too. That's where it's me at. Too. I love the big men dunking and slamming and running over people. That's yeah. fun. But just yeah. watching games that just oh just get to the three pointer and just jack threes. Yeah, thanks. I agree. Steph that does Curry. get old. Yeah, it's just like watching the watching the Warriors just be a game of two K. I, I I can agree. It was kind of boring after a while. It yeah. was. Give me the old school. And that's you know, that's kind of how I feel about football. I'm a I'm a sucker for old fashioned ground and pound football. So, you know, when I watch a team like the San Francisco 49ers just thriving on just pounding the ball, opening up holes on the offensive line. Oh, that's the kind of football I like. Which is why it's weird to me that you're pro-dome. Because wouldn't you like to watch that in the snow and the rain? Well, it's... Maybe not personally, but at least on TV. it's I, I love watching football teams play in poor weather conditions. I think it makes the game that much better to watch. I think it's definitely entertaining in the snow. I just... It, it's not as much the dome with me it's just that soldier field is just awful and it could be so much better in so many ways i'm sure they could improve it without having to completely tear it down they can't though like they don't own the place the chicago park district does that's tough isn't that isn't that dumb that's weird it's dumb i did not know that it's dumb (laughs) They don't the the Chicago Bears, one of the oldest teams in professional sports, 
one of the most profitable teams in professional sports does not own their own stadium because they had to land a spaceship in Soldier Field to keep some nostalgia alive that doesn't exist because Soldier Field, the team that the 85 Bears won in, is gone. There is nothing left of that stadium. There is no nostalgia. There is no sentimental value. It's just bad. That stadium is bad. I did not know that. Yeah, that's why the turf is terrible every year. The park district plants that turf. So the the Bears don't even have their own turf people that work on no, that field? No, it's the park district. Oof. It's bad. Oof. That's, that's wow. Uh, and as much as it just gripes me to watch the Packers, I see what it just... What an amazing job they did to Lambeau Field, and it just makes me cringe. I'm like, That's it's cool apples and oranges, stadium. except the benches. Yeah. The, the yeah. fact that Lambeau Field's benches, yeah. That's the only gripe I have with it. Other than that, it's a great stadium, and I hate admitting it as a Bears fan, but that's, that's a franchise that really did it right. Man, get it together, Bears. Yeah, they won't. They won't. So, um, let's get into some Cubs, shall we? All right. So, spring training. Some guys are hitting home runs. Albert Almora is off to a good start. You had a few starts from your competition at the five starter. You had Tyler Chatwood. You had Alec Mills. You had Edward Alzali. You had some starts from... Kyle Hendricks, John Lester. And those first starts, I don't take any stock in those. They pitch an inning. They're just trying to get back into shape. I think when we watch spring training go on, to see who wins that fifth starter spot is going to be interesting. But in terms of the rest of the starting pitchers, you know they're there to just get back into the groove yeah. of things. Yeah, I always I always look at spring training as, you know, as – as just a way of determining how you're going to fill in some of the holes that you knew you were going to have going into the season. Because un- unless you have a team that's that's going to be really, really young and you've got a lot of guys fighting for a lot of spots, it's just not that interesting. And the Cubs are one of those teams where the majority of their lineup, the majority of their rotation is already set in stone. You already know what it's going to be. Uh but for the Cubs, you know, I guess you've got like a second base battle going on. Like you said, maybe the back end of the rotation, some bullpen spots, maybe. Other than that, everything really is pretty much already set. Yeah, I think some of the other questions I may have is like, who's going to win like the 25th and 26th men? Yeah, uh, yeah some bench spots, sure. But I mean, we're talking like competition between Hernan Perez, Daniel Descalso, Carlos Estuaje and Josh Fegley. You know, yeah, it's not not exactly a, a super interesting contest there. I guess you could say one of the interesting things we could see is Nico Horner and how that all develops. Because I still believe that he is going to start in AAA. Right. I feel like if they were more confident of him being the everyday second baseman right out of the gate, they wouldn't have gotten Jason Kipnis even on a minor league yeah. deal. So we'll see. I agree. That to me is the the main thing to watch for in Cubs spring training this year is second base Kipnis, Bodie, Horner, who's going to be the opening day starter there. Yeah, opening day starter, I think it's really right now with David Ross at the helm, it's going to be less of, in my opinion, I think it's going to be less of a respect thing and more of a whoever pitches will earn it. That's yeah. just how I think it's going to be. Because you have several guys who you could easily slate in there. you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, and John Lester. Though I think... John Lester may be past those days of being the opening day starter, but it's still a possibility. I mean, that's what he's known for being as an opening day starter. But it'll be interesting. I, if yeah. I'm a betting man right now, I think it's going to be between Darvish and Hendricks. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. If you had to choose right now, who would it be? 
I guess that depends partly on how the rest of spring training goes. Uh, barring any injuries, I would probably go with Darvish. I just yeah, like, I, I like the I like the idea of having your strikeout guy in there first, and that's that's really all it is for me. But it's it's really close. It's really close, and I I could I I, I would be on board a hundred percent with either one of those guys as opening day starter. Sure. Now, what's also kind of interesting to think about watching spring training videos, not the players themselves playing on the field, but the players and coaches and in interviews, and kind of what the narratives are. You know, the last two years. One of the biggest narratives in spring training was getting Darvish ready. Is Darvish going to be ready, you know, to overcome the 27 World Series? Is Darvish going to be ready to come off that bad season and injury-riddled season he had the year before? You know, right now, Darvish isn't much of a topic of conversation in terms of performance. It seems like the fan base as a whole is a lot more confident in Darvish than going in the past few years. Yeah, and that's that's good. It's, yeah. we 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 haven't gone into a season feeling this confident about Darvish before, and that's kind of refreshing, no. in a it way. Is. And and man, he's been kind of feisty on Twitter, especially about all this Astros stuff. And you know, maybe this kind of lights a fire in him and 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 reinvigorates him a little bit. But I'm I'm excited to see him get off to a good start this year. Because I, I think if he, I think if he just has a solid start, he'll carry that into the rest of the year. I mean, we saw what he did in the second half when he started getting things together a little bit. If he could do that for an entire season, oh man, that's that's a game changer. Absolutely. If he is confident right off the bat and he establishes himself, then look out. Because I truly believe that once Darvish started to gain confidence in himself last year by pitching a few good games that that carried him a long way. Remember that start at Dodger stadium he made where he just dominated the Dodgers after mm -hmm. the demons of the 2017 world series. Ever since that start, we saw the Darvish we've wanted to see. And I think that did a big thing for him mentally. And he's going in without all these narratives over his head I mean, sure, the whole Astros cheating thing comes out, and that's been talked about with him. But I also feel like he's truly moved on from it, just in terms of letting it get to him. I'm yeah. sure he'll always kind of resent it a bit, but I don't I think mean, it's going to really allow him to affect his performance at this point. I think just the just the fact that he, he now can, and you know, Maybe he realizes that that Dodgers fiasco wasn't entirely his fault. Right. You know, that that could make a, a big difference for him, too, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think he's in a good place now. In terms of position players, obviously we're watching Chris Bryant lead off. We'll see how that materializes. You know, it's only been a few games so far. Um, we're going to watch Albert Almora, see if he can continue this hot start. It, you watch with the naked eye. There's definitely something different with his approach. I'm not going to act all like, a, oh, I'm a hitting coach, and I could tell his hands yeah. are down a few inches and his bat toggle is different and his knees are buckled. You know? But you can definitely tell a difference without really putting your finger on it if you watch the video of his home run and his hits. I... I, I kind of thought last year was, I don't want to say an anomaly, but I, re I really believe he's better than that. I, I, I truly do. And I, no one is hoping for a bounce back from him more than me. Because I really think he can be of, of more value than he was last year. Yeah, I think uh, some people would agree with you. I really hope he bounces back myself. What I like about Elmora's new approach is that he's not really hiding anything. He's saying, look, last year I was bad. He wasn't making excuses. He wasn't trying to blame other people. He came out of the gate and said, look, I've made changes and I'm going to do what I can to make this, make this club because the pressure is on him. Now going into last year, 
yeah. was pretty much slated to be on the team. Now it's not quite as certain, especially if Ian Happ is going to be taking a lot of the center field time. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that, you know, the, the rotation, second base, and, and that are going to be the kind of the focal points of spring training. I'm not sure if anybody actually has any sort of rooting interest in who wins that job, but like I said, I I think Albert Almora could be a surprise guy this year. You know, I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be an everyday starter and he's going to rake, but I th- I think he could be a pretty valuable bench guy. Yeah, I would hope so. I think Ian Happ has more obviously more run production potential. He's got more power. He's got better abilities to walk. He'll be better in the field too. Uh, you know, that's that's a good question. You think he's going to be better than Almora? No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I think Almora will be better than he was last year in the. Field. Oh, I see. You're not comparing yeah, Ian. Right. Okay, I right. see. Yeah, last year his defense really dipped. Really, really dipped. If you just yeah. look at the numbers on Fangraphs, that I that I have to believe will change you know and I, th- I think that's that's a lot easier to correct than hitting you know i i've said it on this show before you can explain some of the defensive some some not a majority but some some of the defenses last year you know you point to certain areas you say well look at chris bryant he went down defensively probably because he's had some injury issues that probably doesn't help but a lot of the bad defense in general last year from the Cubs, some of it felt just kind of fluky. Like, I am pretty confident that you're going to see a cleaner ball club this year play some better defense. I just think that if you look at their past performances as a whole and you look at what they're capable of doing and you just look at how much it just dipped last year suddenly, to me it tells me that it's going to get back to closer where it was. I agree. And I I think David Ross will do a good job of having these guys mentally prepared for each game. I think that was probably one of the big factors last year. Their heads were always in the game. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe there was still some world series hangover going on there that, you know, they, they finally pulled it off. And so Maybe, you know, their heads just weren't in the right place. I don't think there's going to be as much complacency this year. It sounds like, it sounds like these guys are, are sufficiently frustrated in the fact that they've sort of wasted a good chunk of their competitive window. And I, I think that they're really looking to aggressively fix that this year. So I, I agree with you. I, I don't think we'll see nearly as many defensive mistakes this year. I I definitely would expect them to look sharper all around. Yeah, and I also hope that their base running miscues are cut down. Yeah. I also hope that we see just a smarter approach when it comes to not necessarily batting at the plate, but situations. I mean, you could say your approach could be better whenever, but I'm just talking about certain situations where contact needs to be made and don't swing out of your shoes when you don't need to just good old make contact when you need to. I mean, baseball is a game of constant adjustments and you can say, well, they need to improve their approach at the plate overall. It's like, well, they have walking ability. They have power. They just need to adjust their approach in certain situations. And I think the old RASP comes up in everyone's mind when that's mentioned because I think it truly is one of the issues. Yeah, and runners in scoring position, you know, that's that's tough, and I see a lot of people argue that there there is no such thing as the clutch factor. I disagree. I think there is something to that. I think that some guys just handle pressure better than others. Uh, having said that, that's harder to coach. I mean that's that's one of those things that you you just either figure it out or you don't. That's a really hard thing to coach into someone. But with the Cubs, we've seen we've already seen that they're capable of it though. 
So it, it's not like it's not like we're in the dark on that one. I I think that that is one area that they have to improve. Whether or not David Ross finds a way to to bring that out of him, that's yet to be determined. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the whole clutch thing. I think there's something to it. I just think that sometimes we measure it the wrong way or we evaluate it the wrong way. It's not an easy thing to evaluate. No, it's really not. But but I think there is something to that. Sometimes I think we don't give enough credit to some people who are more quote-unquote clutch than we think. And sometimes I think we overrate clutch people. I, I would I would agree. I would agree. I just I, I think it's a little more prominent than some people would like to admit. I, well, I just sure. I, I don't agree with the notion that there is no such thing as clutch factor. There absolutely is. I agree. I, I think I, I think you have to know what to do in certain situations and you know being better in certain situations is something that you can't program into a human being. It's you know human beings are human beings and the way they react to certain things are are different. Yeah. Now, I was watching highlights the other night. I mean, it was maybe a week ago. On YouTube, they have... I can't remember if we talked about this, but have you ever watched those YouTube videos of monthly highlights from the 2016 Cubs? Uh, yeah, I think I have. Maybe not in a while, but I, I think I have. Go and watch them. And just see how merciless that team was in every aspect. The fact that every first inning, they would drive the opposing pitcher nuts with these great at-bats, fouling off pitches, and just driving up their pitch count right off the bat. And then they pounced on every situation that they had. I mean, you look at the team last year. You look at the team the last few years. And you look at that 2016 team and that late 2015 team, like mid-season and beyond, it's two totally different teams. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that there was a hunger there in 2016 that just that you just didn't see in 2017 and 2018. I I don't know. I think that they're, you know, going back to... Uh, to to the mentality, I I think that there might have been a little bit of complacency there, or maybe not just complacency, but maybe they they believed that the gap between them and whoever was second best in the NL Central was so far that they didn't really need to put in maximum effort, uh, and you know as we saw that that ended up backfiring. So it's it seems like maybe they've got just a, a better general attitude about it this time around. At, at least I hope that is the case. Me too. What's really interesting about watching the Cubs play in 2016 is that it almost felt like after a while, their steamrolling ways in the regular season, it was almost like instinct. It almost it looked so effortless. It became they routine. They just kept doing what they did. Yeah, exactly. And they just did it day after day after day. Yeah, and you, we just didn't see that the last couple of years. No, you would see stretches of it and then you'd see stretches where they couldn't do anything. And and I you know, a lot of those mistakes too that they're making it from guys that just shouldn't be making those kinds of mistakes, no. especially as often as they were being made. No, exactly. It's you're not supposed to see Chris Bryant fumble so many things in the field. You're not supposed to see Albert Almora do that either. You don't really ever yeah. see a dip with Rizzo. He's consistently a great second baseman, but you see in a bunch of other places. And really just any on the base paths too, any of those guys. If if you're playing on a contending team, you can't be making that many mistakes on the base paths. No. you just can't have it. No. especially especially for a team that thrives on power and doesn't have a ton of high on base percentage guys, you can't afford to be getting picked off. No, I mean, look, you got great on base percentage guys in Rizzo, Bryant. You have pretty good with Kyle Schwarber. 
you have good with Wilson Contreras among your starters. I mean, Jason Hayward is above average, but not great. Albert Mora is obviously below. Uh, Baez is on base wise, right around average, but he's the guy that slugs the ball. He doesn't take walks, but yeah, I mean, you need to run the bases smartly because I think we live in a day and age where smart base running is more important than stealing bases. And that was another big factor why they've been successful in years past. I mean, even in 2016, after 2016, like 17 and 18, they ran the bases much better. And, you know, they made the playoffs those years. They didn't make them last year. Yeah, the mistakes got to be cut down. I mean, it's production is one thing. You know, you're, you're going to have slumps at the plate. But one thing you can control is cutting down the mistakes. That is that is within their control. It is. And like like you said, I'm pretty confident that David Ross is going to have them a bit more focused and a bit more ready for yeah. games. I think than so we too. saw the past few years. I was thinking about the 2015 team before this show, and I was thinking about how, man, it, it felt like just yesterday, but it was also, you know, like five years ago when we were in spring training as all these prospects were starting to bloom and come up, when Chris Bryant was getting ready for the majors, when Kyle Schwarber was getting ready for the majors, and you got Javier Baez who had a little taste of the majors when Jorge Soler was still a thing. When John Lester was in camp for the first time as a cub, I just remember the sheer excitement of that. And, you know, I, I, I miss that excitement because right now I think camp feels better than I thought it would going into the season, but it doesn't have that excitement factor that we saw yeah. in years past. And, you know, I just, That's I just hard. miss it. It, well, it, it's hard to replicate that when you've been to the top of the mountain. It's hard to replicate that that suspense, that tension that you feel when you're trying to get somewhere. It's different when you've already been there. And I think that's part of the problem that the Cubs have had the last few years is how do they how do they find how do they find that that suspense again? How do they find that aggressiveness again when they've already been there? Right, right. I think, for me, the last spring training I felt really, really good was going into 2018. I felt great going to that year because I'm like, okay, we were the world champs in 2016. We tried to defend the title. We ended up winning a division and becoming just three outs, or not three outs, three games away from going back to the World Series. We simply ran out of gas against a much better team. There were a few things to restock. We brought in a big-time free agent. Let's do this. And, you know, ever since then, you've had two off-seasons where the front office and the team has done nothing, and and you've had a lot of off-field distractions and business distractions, and it just really changed things. Yeah, I guess, you know, but it, it seems so far... Like David Ross has done a good job of getting their attitude changed a little bit because they, I, I think, just listening to some of these guys in interviews, it feels a, a little bit more like 2016 in that they have this sort of attack mentality. Now, here is something that may cause a little stir. It's I'm just I'm just going to bring this up. I think the idea of firing Joe Mann after 2018 would have been ludicrous. You couldn't do it, right? You won 95 games. Yeah, would have been stupid. But is it also fair to say that his time was up after 2018? We'd have no way of knowing because, frankly, I thought he did a good, really good job in 2018 because some people say, well, maybe they fired him then a year too late. You couldn't justify firing him after a 95 no. win season and after having a good season. But last season, it clearly showed that the time was at an end. It just, it kind of dropped, really dropped off. 
it's it's almost like you could argue that his time was up after 2018, but there's no way in heck you could have justified firing him. It would have been stupid. Yeah, yeah, there 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 would have been no way to do that. There there's really there would have been no way to know that either. I mean, especially right, exactly. not from our end. I'm sure there's a lot of circumstances that we just don't know about too. Exactly. You could point at other teams and say, yeah, they held on to a coach too long. With this, it just simply fizzled out when it did. You know, yeah, it, it yeah. just it fizzled out when it did. And yeah. it wasn't all his fault. Wasn't ideal, but uh, there really was no way to know. There just right. wasn't. So that's why I don't think anyone can go out and regret them not moving on from Joe Madden a year earlier because there would have been no way of us knowing it. Maybe the front office knew more, obviously. I think they clearly did. But how, how would you justify to your fans, hey, uh, here's our World Series winning manager. Uh, we didn't win a playoff game last year, but we still won 95 games after three straight NLCS and a championship. We're going we're gonna to fire him. That would have been a real tough sell to yeah, the could, fans. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't have done that. No way you could have done that. And we're at the point in spring training where you got to say, look, last year was last year. That's in the past. We can't think about that. We got to think about the manager we have now. Yeah, exactly. And what do we have in David Ross? Well, that's yet to be determined. But we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. I have a question for you. Shoot. Let's say it's May. Mid-May. Okay. And the Cubs are sub-500. Are you starting to panic? What, what is your panic threshold for the team? I think the Cubs are one of those teams that can go on a hot streak on a real serious hot streak. And so if they're sub 500 in May, I'm not sure I'm hitting the panic button quite yet mm -hmm. because we've seen plenty of teams rebound from awful records in May the and go on to do things. Yeah, exactly. And I think the Cubs are one of those teams that could do something like the Nationals did. So if it's just May, I'm not sure I'm, I'm in full panic mode yet, but I am starting to get concerned that, that maybe this year is just going to be a wash and that, that major players are going to get traded for assets. But I, I'm not fully in panic mode yet in May. Now, yeah. now if, if, if they're sub-500 by the end of June, that's, that's maybe a different story. Right, right. It's also going to depend on what the division is doing. Because if everyone is kind of yeah. meh at that time, you're still in a race. But if you're like... As nine, long as the gap isn't too there, wide. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, let's play another scenario then. Further down the road, let's say it's right past the 4th of July. We're right near the All-Star break. What's your threshold of games back where you're buying or selling? <sighs> If by the All-Star break, the Cubs are at least within five or six games in the NL Central, then I, I, I think you buy. Oh, okay. I, I'm uh, pretty much with you there. You know, if they're, if, they're more, if they're closer to around 10 games back, then it's, it's pretty hard to justify buying at that point. I mean... I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it, but but it would be a tough sell to a lot of fans, I think. I feel like they have to take their position very, very seriously by that point this year. I don't really think that they can mess around. I think if you're more than five games back, you have to start selling some guys, especially um... if you have multiple teams ahead of you. I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but. I mean, think about it. If you are behind two teams 
and the same issues persist. You said you were going to hopefully make some shakeups in the offseason. You didn't. And you have essentially the same team that failed to make the postseason last year. You'd think you'd have to take some sort of action, right? I suppose. I think part of me just doesn't... Part of me just hates the idea of a loaded Cubs team selling. I know, but if you're not going to go anywhere for the second consecutive year, well, third consecutive if you count the wild card loss, I feel like you don't have much of a choice but to do something. You well, can't just I stay just, complacent. I'm not sure that that it means that, that they're incapable of going anywhere in the future. I know that I know that's that's a hard sell, but it just I just can't accept the fact that this Cubs team has to sell because it shouldn't be the case. Well, we hope it's not the case. We hope they're not in that position. Hope I not, feel... and it, it 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 should not. It really should not. I mean, look at that look at that roster. Look at that team. There's 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 really no excuse for them to be sellers. Okay, how about this? Let's say they're kind of in the 2016 Yankees position. They have a core. They have assets. They go out and say, okay, it's the all-star break. We don't see us going anywhere this year. Let's make some retooling moves and get back in this thing next year by making a few trades. Like, let's say Craig Kimbrell's having a great year, but the Cubs aren't going anywhere, and you sell high. Maybe if the Yankees need a pitcher, you got Jose Quintana. If he's having a really good year, you sell him. You make a few moves, and you say, hey, we're not going anywhere this year, but we're not going to tear this thing down. We're going to retool a little bit and then focus on 2021. Because that's that, kind of how I think they see this going. That I, I, that sort of scenario, I suppose I would be okay with. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of, oh, hey, the Cubs are six games back at the deadline. Trade Bryant, trade Baez, trade Schwarber. No, I don't think they down. go that far. I don't think they go that far. I'm saying if they're like six-plus games back, they sell a few veteran assets that are on the team, maybe a, a starting pitcher or a reliever that's doing well, and you kind of go from there. You know, I'm not saying like a complete rebuild if they're like six games back. I'm not saying yeah. that at all. I mean, I'm mainly saying they're not buying. I, I, I could be on board with that, sure. Now, I think retooling is kind of dangerous, if you want me to be completely honest. I think it's a very, very dangerous thing because I feel like retooling... It's risky. It, it, it could fall flat on its face. There's a big difference between retooling and rebuilding. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I just, I hate the idea of going into a season thinking that's going to be a retool. But if you're in the position to retool when you're trying to win and it's just not working but you have a chance to retool, I think you try to pounce on that. It's not my favorite approach, but if you're not going anywhere in the current year, you got to do something for the future, and it just depends on how drastic it is. Yeah, I, I think as long as, as long as they just don't tear this thing down by the deadline, if things aren't going perfectly, I'll be okay. But you know, Would you it, ever, ever be okay with that scenario this year? Let's say they were I over mean, ten games back. I mean, yeah, maybe if they if they were like fifteen, twenty games back, then then maybe you have to do something a little more drastic. But even then, it would I would sort of it, it would make me pause. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a just, weird position to be it's in. It's just so unfathomable sure. to me that they would be in that position. But well, things do happen. Yeah, I I don't think it's going to be likely that we're in an awful position. I just see best case scenario, we're fighting for the division or a wild card. Worst case scenario, they're at the deadline, they sell a few veterans, and they make some retool moves. I think that's your best and worst case scenario right there. I agree. The other question is, let's say they're at the deadline... And they want to buy. So what do they buy with? Well, that's that's the other that's a tough one too, because they 
their farm system is just so depleted right now. There's just not a lot of intriguing pieces there for other teams. So if if you're going to buy, I mean, buying almost is selling for the Cubs because if they're going to get something significant, they're going to have to give something significant. And the only significant pieces they have left are on their major league roster. Well, I think they do have some intriguing prospects, I think, more than people realize, but it's it's not really a deep Comparative, farm system. Comparatively, though, compared, compared to the rest of the league, not as much. Right, right. I mean, that's true. I also think that a lot of the big prospects they do have, the Cubs really want to develop for themselves. But, I mean, if it comes down to winning a World Series now... You know, you want that chance at a ring, but you look at guys like Amaya, uh, Nico Horner, Albert Alzali, and a few others that are down that system. You know, the Cubs are really hoping that they're part of their team for the future. I think there's no yeah. doubt about that. Now, the catching is very deep in this organization. Very, very deep. If you have a lot of faith in Amaya and Victor Caratini continues to come into his own and you want to trade for a decently big haul. This is really risky, but some people might bring up Contreras. If you're not in a spot to win, if he would be a core player to trade, would it be him? Because the catching is so deep. It probably, it would make the most sense, I suppose. Like you said, just from a depth perspective, what they can uh, you know, afford to replace within. But but man, it, that's another one where I just hate the idea of Contreras playing for somebody else. I know, me too. Me and, too. And, and if it's possible, I really would rather see him succeed with the Cubs as a team, but... But if you have to trade a core guy, Contreras probably makes the most sense of all those guys. Right. But as it stands right now, I would I would much rather them them stick with Contreras and Me too. And hopefully they're not in a bad spot by the deadline. All this has been hinging on the Cubs, you know, having having a mountain to climb by the deadline. Well, I don't think that they're in a position where that's necessarily, you know, where the odds of that are, are are high. I think this Cubs team can succeed. And as I've said in previous shows, you know, they're they're gonna have to to be on a mission where they prove to the front office that they should be buyers and not sellers by the deadline. They can't afford to to play lackluster in the first half. No, and they really gotta get off to a good start this year. They can't go whatever it was, one and seven. When they started the season. Yeah, can't have that. You can't, especially with the Reds much improved, the Cardinals trying to defend a division title, and the Brewers going to be in the mix. I mean, really, the only team you're not worried about in the division is the Pirates. You have three other teams you're going to be trying to chase. Ooh, poor Pirates. Okay, what are your standings predictions right now? I'm going to put you on the spot there. Give me your standings predictions. Just for the for the NL Central? Yes. Who boy. That's tough because I, I feel like the I feel like the mob would come after me if I didn't predict the Cubs to be I don't first know. in the NL Central. I think I don't, some people might agree with you. I don't want to be yeah, I don't want to be a homer. Um just honest baseball opinion. Okay. So obviously this is subject to change very soon too but if i was a gambling man and i had to predict the final nl central standings i would go cardinals cubs brewers reds pirates you are not on the reds hype train are you my friend no no i'm not you know i i think they'll be good this year but I'm not some of these people who are like, oh, my God, they're going to be like the big red machine. No, I think they're going to be average. 
I I think they'll make a run at the division or the wild card. I just yeah, don't think I they're don't a lock like. Yeah, I don't. I don't make them. I don't think they're going to be terrible. I just think they're going to be average. And and I, I think the Brewers are going to be slightly above average. I'm kind of when it comes to the Reds, and this isn't trying to dis- me discredit them because I think they've made a lot of smart moves, and I think they're doing everything they can to win. I just feel like with the Reds. I kind of treat it like the Detroit Lions where, you know, every year they're like that supposed dark horse team because they made some moves yeah. and yeah. so far they just it just never really materialized. I mean, you yeah. look on paper. On paper, it's a good team, but they've been a quote-unquote dark horse, dark horse on paper team for several years now and it's never materialized. Exactly. So it's it's like with the Reds, I'll believe it when I see it. There's no doubt they have some great talent. Luis Castillo like is a done. stud. Me yeah, too. I I like I like that I like from a business perspective that they're that they're actively trying to improve rather than just tank for prospects for better for better draft picks. The Reds are the one team in the division where it's like okay if it's not the Cubs, I'd rather see the Reds than any other team in the division. Yeah, I'm not rooting for the Cardinals. I'm not rooting for the Brewers. No. And then the, the Pirates are just kind and of the, there. The, the Pirates are like a, a quadruple-A team this year. Yeah, absolutely. And then you look at you look at the Cardinals. Let's talk about the Cardinals. They're like... I'm going to compare it to the other big Chicago rival. They're kind of like the Packers to me, where they're certainly a solid team. I just think they kind of overperformed last year. I just like I their pitching I think is their biggest strength. I just outside Paul Goldschmidt, that lineup really doesn't scare me all that much. They have to win with their arms. That's true. I, I agree with that. I think that the Cardinals I think the Cardinals have better luck with, with consistency throughout the season than some of the other NL Central teams do. Oh, sure. You know, they don't really have major highs and major lows. They kind of just are what they are. You know, where whereas a team like the Cubs, they, they ride big wins and loss streaks a lot. Yeah, so looking at their lineup, their number ones, Paul Goldschmidt is obviously their all-star slugger, and, you know, he's one of the best. You have a good hitter, uh, power hitter, and Paul DeYoung at short. You have what's left of Yadi Molina, uh, Tommy Edmond, and Matt Carpenter, uh, O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and an aging Dexter Fowler. I, you look at that lineup and you say, it's not terrible, but it's not really anything that scares you all that much. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not like the old days of Albert Pujols in his prime and in prime Yachty and uh, when oh, they had Lance Berkman not. for a little, bur- a little bit and, you know, uh, Ryan Ludwig, Troy Glott, all those guys. Yeah, I mean, my 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 predictions, like like I said, it's subject to change. I, I think that I think it'll be really close. I, yeah, I don't think there I, think so I don't too. think there is necessarily one clear-cut favorite in the nl central right now i think i think it's up for grabs for for at least a few teams yeah and you know what the most frustrating thing is i'm just waiting for the brewers just to kind of fizzle out but every time we say we think they will they never do because yeah christian yelich is one of the best players in baseball uh, Kessin Huria looks like a great young asset. Ryan Braun, he may not be the same Ryan Braun, but he could still hit for power. Lorenzo Kane can still swing the bat a bit. But man, I just, what frustrates me more than anything is just looking at that rotation. Like, how how is a rotation with Brandon Woodruff as your number one starter, how does that stuff just seem to work? The past few years, I don't know. You, I gotta think that luck is gonna run out. It, it's bound to run out. They can't, they can't keep doing what they're doing with that rotation, can they? 
It just well, shouldn't be possible. Yeah, I mean, they've had the luxury of saying, okay, you're a starter, you go four or five innings, and then the bullpen will go the rest of the way. And you saw Josh Hader last year. The numbers were still overall very good, but teams got to him a little more often last year than they did in 2018. Yeah, here's hoping that continues. They lost Yasmani Grandal. They lost Mike Moustakis. They brought in Avisail Garcia, who does not equal any of those guys. And your starting third baseman is going to be either Eric Sogard or the rotting corpse of Jed Jerko. And Orlando Arcia is your shortstop. It's like, okay, you have you have a good top of the order. Yelich, Kane, Braun, Kyria. And after that, it's just kind of meh. And Manny yet Pena, somehow, Narvaez, yeah, yet somehow yeah, they'll somehow, find a way. They'll find a way to go on a crazy run and steal this thing. Yeah. They can't. They can't have that September three years in a row, right? They can't. God willing. There's no way. I mean, there's no way they could do that three years in a row. Yeah. Well, we we've said this three years in a row now, and and what I know. happens every year. I know. You know what, man? You got to credit the Brewers. I just think they're the best coach team in the National League. I think that's Maybe they're a big source too. of their success. Oh. <laughs> oh, don't open up that can of worms. All right, I won't. <laughs> oh, man. That's, uh, that's something. Somebody had to ask it. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just think they're a really well coached team. They I really so are. Too. I think so too. Yeah. Well, uh we're just about out of time here on Climbing the Ivy. I thought this was a really good show. We didn't talk all that much Cubs, I feel like. We talked a lot of other stuff, but that's okay. We'll have Cubs more Cubs too. content down the row. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, Adam, thank you as always for coming on. I want to thank Absolutely. everyone for listening. I want to remind everybody that you could check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You could check out this podcast on iTunes.com. Also, go on their social media pages, their Facebook page, their Twitter page. All their content is posted on there. So until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.